1: An incredible word I want to share with you this morning. Um, I've been thinking about some things. I've been pondering some deep thoughts. I know that the blonde hair could give you pause to think (laughs) that perhaps I'm not a deep thinker and a deep ponderer, but don't let the external fool you. I spend a lot of time in deep thought about the condition and the culture of the world and then also just the different things that are happening within the church world. And when we look at the the vast expanse of the globe right now, if Jesus called us the light of the world, then we've got to ask ourselves the question, why does the world look so dark? And so that thought led me to another thought. It led me to a thought of when I was a little girl. Now, when I was a little girl, I went to a Christian school. Wonderful mum and dad, and for a a portion of my childhood years, I went to a Christian school. And I remember one day, vividly, this, this memory has never left me, at the bus stop, I was about 12 years of age, and I was standing next to one of my schoolmates, Darren Anderson. And Darren Anderson was telling me about some of his exploits, some of the things that he was doing that were immoral. Even as a juvenile Christian, I knew that they were immoral. And I said to him, Darren Anderson, how can you do those things when you're a Christian? And he looked back at me and he said, well, God will forgive me. God will forgive me. And I remember even in my immature Christian state, thinking to myself, I don't think it's meant to work that way. I I think you got it a little wrong there, Darren Anderson. Now, how many of you can remember the Christian bumper stickers of the 80s, not perfect, just forgiven. And look, it's not wrong, is it? It's a true statement. However, I feel like for some people, it's become a little bit of an escape hatch or a cop out to try to put a bumper sticker on our bad behaviour. Oh, but I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm cheating on my taxes. And cheating on my wife and cheating my friends and cheating myself and cursing and smoking and drinking too much and doing all the things that I shouldn't do. But I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. Yeah. Yeah. I just put a whole big bumper sticker on my body. And I kind of thought to myself, I wonder if God is in heaven going, but could you at least try? Yeah. <laughs> could you at least try? Yeah. Come on. Come on. Now, in the book of Ephesians, Paul writes a very extensive letter to the church at the time. And the first three chapters, he spends the entirety of those three chapters talking about how we are not saved by our good works. Look at this. It says this. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul writes to the church and he says, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. God gave you salvation. You didn't earn it. You can't work for it. You couldn't earn it if you tried. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us and you in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things. Somebody say, good things. He planned for us long ago. So, so Paul starts his letter to the church of reminding them that salvation isn't something they can earn. They were so used to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and being, being, uh, having to conform to, to religious tradition without heart, without relationship, that he needed to remind them, you, you can't work for your salvation, it's a gift. And, and it cost Jesus a lot. It cost him a lot, his life on the cross. It's by his blood and his grace we are saved. But then in chapter four, he takes a bit of a turn and he says this in Ephesians chapter four, verse one. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life that is worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. So he spends the first three chapters telling them you are saved by grace, not by works. But then he goes on to say, But because you're saved by grace, you are not working for salvation, but from the place of salvation, good works should be the evidence. If you have the light of the world on the inside of you, then there should be change on your life that is evidence of the God that you have surrendered your life to. That's what Paul's saying. And in fact, he's begging the church. It's like the words of a frustrated pastor. I want to underscore that you're saved by grace but your life should look different. Yeah. And, and I think sometimes in our modern culture, we can, be, we can be guilty of that bumper sticker living because somewhere along the line, not only do we want to excuse the fact that we haven't allowed God into the places of our life that need transformation, but also that somehow we want to say to the world, look, we're no different to you. But, but that may have been true. Maybe we weren't different to the world, but then Jesus stepped in and we became different. The very thing that makes our lives shine for Jesus is the fact that we're not like them. We used to be, but we're not anymore. Because when Jesus stepped in the light of the world, the evidence was good works that give glory to our Father in heaven. Isn't that what Jesus said in his first sermon in Matthew chapter number five? He said, you are the light right. of the world. I mean, that's a... What, what a mandate and a mission. And he said, A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Right. Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works. Somebody say good works. Good works. And glorify your Father who is in heaven. Paul's appeal and Jesus's appeal was not to live this way in order to be saved or get saved, but rather that now you are saved, live in such a way that your life shows it. And I think if our world needs anything right now, it's Christians to let the light of God that is on the inside of them shine forth good works that have people looking and going there is something different about you, you used to be like me, but you're not anymore. What change? Can somebody say amen? So the title of my message this morning is For Goodness' Sake. And I'm going to just bring some thoughts out of that chapter from Ephesians chapter 4 that Paul was speaking into as he brings an encouragement to the people in the church of that time. Actually, look at this scripture in Ephesians four seventeen to 24. It says this. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives them because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you have learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him, throw off, somebody say throw off, off. your old sinful nature and your former way of life, your former way, which is corrupted by lust and deception. And instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy hallelujah somebody say amen amen okay I want you to write this down I'm, I'm going to bring out three thoughts three points that I want you to ponder I want you to write this down and just let the Holy Spirit speak to you and I just want you to relax because even though this is a confronting discipleship message I'm going to throw myself and Pastor Jürgen under the bus so many times that you're going to be able to live vicariously and go under the radar by just going laughing at our folly and then, you know, inwardly allowing the Holy Spirit to convict you too, okay? So point number one, for goodness sake, learn from Christ. So Paul gives an encouragement to the church at that time. He says, that's not what you've learned from Christ. So I want to ask you the question today, who are you learning from? Who are you learning from? Because a lot of people, they come down on the altar and they give their lives to Jesus and they mean it. And it's a real encounter. But then they go back and they live the life that they always lived, learning from the same broken teachers. But when we give our lives to Christ on the altar, it's not the end, it's just the beginning. You know, I have made a decision in my life that I'm going to be a lifelong learner, even though it hurts. And for those of you who know my story, you know that I left school in the 10th grade, which was okay at the time in Australia. I didn't ditch high school. I didn't drop out. I graduated in the 10th grade, and then I went to technical college. But I've got to be honest with you. I didn't learn a thing at school. I learned nothing at school. So I have been trying to make up for lost time in my Christian walk. And I remember getting married at at 17, and I got married and moved nations and became a pastor in one fell swoop. And and I really, I didn't know how to pastor or be a wife. I had no clue. And my husband and I moved to New Zealand, and we took on the pastoring of a youth ministry over there in Auckland in one of the most... uh, violent parts of New Zealand and it was difficult. We had a a youth group that we were trying to pastor and raise and disciple and I was still needing discipleship myself. And I'd left my father's house and was now a wife to my husband and, and in ministry and there was so much I didn't know. And I remember one particular day, my husband and I were at church on a Sunday evening, the back when Sunday night church was a thing. We would spend Sunday, all day Sunday at church, and I would be lying to you if I told you that I enjoyed it. By the end of that, and my husband is a people person. He has never changed. If he walks into a room full of people, it's his best day ever. It's like fresh meat. Who can I talk to today? And it was was true back then. So he was the perfect youth pastor, such a loving, beautiful youth pastor. And they were all jumping at the front and dancing, and I was, like, standing in the corner, bitter, swirling my coffee like a witch's brew, (laughs) staring at all the parishioners like, you're ruining my life, you're stealing my husband. And, And all our arguments would be about the fact that we didn't get to spend enough time together, or me arguing with him about how we didn't spend any time together, and I would spend our time together arguing about how we didn't get to spend any time together. And so I was in one of those moods, and so he's living his best life up the front of the church, dancing with the young people, and I was just bitter Betty in the corner. And I woke up and I grabbed his arm, and I said, you're all mine tonight. Don't make any plans. And, and no, there was no romance in that statement. Just. To, <laughs> No, 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 no. Don't be thinking it was a hostage situation. I'm like, I am taking you home. You are not making plans. We are not going out for dinner. And he looks back at me. Now, we're talking about two strong people here. We're not talking about a strong one and a weak, passive one. We're talking about gasoline and matches. Kaboom. So we're pastors. We're in the front of church. And I'm demanding that he come home with me. How dare you? think about being around other people. And I grab him, I put my arm, and I make this request. And then he grabs my arm. And he goes, well, actually, we're having 25 youth over. I think he was making it up. He's like, you're not going to tell me what to do. Well, actually, we're having 25, no, 30 youth back to the house. And we're going to have pizza. And we're going to watch movies. And it's going to be a long night. And then, like, I am starting to turn green like the Hulk. And I'm like like a boiling kettle, <laughs> ready to explode. And then all of it, and this again, in, in the front of church, pastors in the front of church, and this woman is about to get into a physical fight with her husband. Out of the, the corner of my eye, I just see this woman, this blonde hair rush. This, this woman, middle-aged woman with short blonde haircut, and she just puts her arm around my back and she goes, Leanne. Leanne. Leah, my name's Robin Cooney. I've, I've always wanted to meet you. My sons are in the youth ministry. And, you know, I've wanted to, always wanted to meet you. Can we, can we chat right now? She was watching this whole thing from the sidelines. She's seeing the impending implosion. And she rushed, rushed in, not with judgment, but with care, and pulled me aside. And that began a seven-year discipleship journey of learning from a woman of God how to be at least a little bit more normal than I was, how to be a wife, a mother, a pastor, how to balance it all together. I'm telling you, I wanna ask you this question today. Who are you learning from? There are Robin Coonies in this room right now that we are wise if we avail ourselves of. Jesus' last words were, go and make disciples. And I wanna ask you this question. Are you discipleable? Are you making yourself a lifelong learner? Are you still spending time with the same people, the same broken people that you were before you were saved? And then wondering why your life isn't a reflection of good works. Good works don't happen accidentally. They happen when you choose to learn from Christ. And there's people in this room that are wanting to help you, just like Robin Cooney was wanting to help me become the person that you're always meant to be. And we don't just limit it to, to people that we we know and see in church every Sunday, but I've turned my car into a Bible college. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't pay attention in school, and now I'm paying attention on my own time. Yeah. And so when I'm in my car, I mean, you can listen to the, all the all that music that you want to listen to, but it's not going to change your life. So I get a Joyce Meyer podcast, and I listen to it, I have turned my car into a Bible college. I wonder why in our modern Christian world, there are so many Christians that are biblically illiterate. It's because they haven't made the decision to learn from Christ. And then they wonder why their lives don't turn upward. Are you availing yourself of the teaching that God has put in our world? We have never been more resourced. There there is no reason for us to be spiritually or biblically dumb. There just isn't. We are surrounded by a treasure, a wealth of treasure of resources. So so I've made myself a disciple of Joyce Meyer. I've never never met her in my life. Don't even need to meet her. But she's changed my life. I am a disciple of Joyce Meyer. I'll never forget the time that uh, my husband and I were sitting in Starbucks having a coffee. And he was sat across from me and he said to me, you know, Leanne, you asked me if there was ever anything that I was to bring up that was bothering me, not to do it during the heat of an argument, but to wait till things were calm and happy and peaceful and then share it with me. And I said, yes, (laughs) go on. (laughs) And he goes, well, I've just really noticed lately that you've been so overly sensitive. Like, I can't make a joke. It's, it's like the fun has been dissolving from, from our marriage. You take everything so seriously. I just need you to lighten up and not be so sensitive. And I remember turning to him. <laughs> How dare you <laughs> accuse me of being overly sensitive. The audacity that, I mean, I just, like, he was doing everything that I asked him to do, but still, you know, I was not picking up what he was putting down. I was actually doing the very thing that he was accusing me of being. (laughs) And so I grabbed my Starbucks again and I swirled it and I just turned my head sideways for the rest of the coffee date. And then we got in the car and I thought to him, thought to myself, well, I'm going to show him that I'm not sensitive or serious, I'm just spiritual. (laughs) And of course, remember, I have turned my car into a Bible college, so I've got Joyce Meyer ready in the CD stacker. So I turn that baby up. I'm going to show him I'm spiritual. And maybe you need to be a bit more spiritual, Jürgen, and less lighthearted and a little more spiritual. And I turned up Joyce to hear that old familiar voice, and this is where the CD was set. (laughs) Well, there are women out there and you're, uh, you're overly sensitive and you can't take a joke. Your poor old husbands are having to tread on eggshells and I just feel under the spirit of the Lord that you need to relax and you need to stop it in Jesus' name. And I'm, I have never turned a dial. I have never turned a dial so fast in my entire life. I tell that story to make you feel better about you, but but to also ask you this question. Have you made a decision to learn from Christ? Sometimes it can be painful. Sometimes it can trigger us in ways that we don't want to be triggered, but the difference between a life that shines, the good works that lead to life in Jesus Christ, and one that doesn't, that is dull and dark and not leading upward but downward, is someone who has made a decision to learn from Christ. Oh, this Bible has changed my life. And I'm happy to say that even though Jürgen and I were like gasoline and matches in the beginning, we haven't lost that strength. But through learning from Christ and Christ-like people, our lives have changed. We've been married for 30 years. 30 years. And there is no one else I want to be with more. I love him more than I've ever loved him. There's no one else I desire. It wasn't always that way. There were moments in the early years of our marriage when, you know what, it was like a clash of the titans and times where we almost just about despised one another, but we hung in there and we continued to learn from Christ and allowed ourselves to be discipleable. Here at Awakened Church, like, I, like my head spins with the amount of things that we do. We are truly the church that never sleeps. Like I sit on the front row in shock, like what, we're doing that now? Oh dear God, help me. Jesus, take the wheel. But, but you know the reason that we do that? We do that because we want you to learn from Christ. We, we have an Awaken Recovery Program because we want you to learn from Christ. We have connect groups where people open their homes a lot of times to strangers and show hospitality because we want you to learn from Christ. Avail yourself of the teaching that's out there. We don't need to be the biblical, biblically illiterate generation. That I, I'm constantly shocked at the amount of Christians that, that don't read their Bible. And I'm not saying that in a condemning way, but, but how do you think your life is going to change if you don't read God's life instruction manual? Like a Christian generation that doesn't even know what the Ten Commandments are that don't even know what the fruits of the Spirit are. Don't be condemned. Be challenged, be inspired. There's so much that God wants to show you and your life will be better for it. Can somebody say amen? And I will drink to that. All right, you ready? You still breathing? You're hanging in there? Okay. Point two from Paul's teaching to the church in Ephesus. For goodness sake... Throw off your old, sinful nature. Yeah. Ephesians 4:22 says this: "Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. You know what Paul doesn't say here? Pray off your old, sinful nature. Now now prayer is important, but there are some behaviors that you're going to need to make a, a conscious decision. I am not that person anymore. Can you imagine if you saw a man who was freed from prison? He was a freed prisoner, but he's still walking around in his orange jumpsuit. He's out of prison, but he's walking around wearing his orange jumpsuit, still has the ball and chain shackled to his feet. You'd be like, bro, you're not a prisoner anymore. You're a free man. Why are you dressed like a prisoner when you've been freed? I reckon that's exactly how God feels about us and the Holy Spirit. Like, what are you wearing that for? Take that old garment off. This is not who you are anymore. This is what Paul said to the church in Corinth. Don't you realise, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, don't you realise that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, these are all behaviours, or who worship idols, or commit adultery behaviors, or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people. They've shoved greedy people in there with prostitutes and adulterers. Drunkards, abusive, or you cheat people. Understand this. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen, this is the part that I I want you to hear, because you may have felt convicted and challenged and triggered, because nobody's Quoting that verse in church anymore, except me, because I'm not afraid. Now, listen to this part. Listen to this part. This is the part I want you to catch. This is throw off your old sinful nature. Some of you were once like that, but that's not who you are anymore, because you were cleansed, you were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What is Paul saying? That is not who you are anymore. What are you wearing as it relates to your behaviour that God is wanting you to throw off? What does He need you to throw off today? Oh my gosh, I mean there were so many. I was wearing so many prison clothes as a free woman that I had to allow God to come in and say, okay, girlfriend, it's time for a makeover. Yeah. Oh, okay. Time for a wardrobe change. Yeah. But so many of us, we wanna walk in and we wanna just put that living forgiven, yeah. not perfect, just forgiven bumper sticker. I know I'm wearing the orange jumpsuit, but look at the bumper sticker. A bumper sticker's not gonna fix your life. Yeah. Yeah. It's time to take yeah. those old clothes off, to throw those old garments off. All right. <laughs> Let me make you feel better about yourself. (laughs) I remember a day that actually isn't too long ago, maybe seven years, all right. Back when the Rock Bottom Brewery was still a thing before it got shut down during COVID. And that was, Rock Bottom Brewery has a special place in my heart because it was a monument to the old me. I remember going there with my husband and, and first of all, I was so mad. Because my husband loves to feast at the table of everything that America has to offer. Like if he sees a neon light, and it's a chain, he wants to eat there. But I I like ambience. Give me some ambience. Give me some dimmed lighting, some white tablecloths, a small menu, some great friends. I'm in my happy place. We just dropped our son off at, at youth group. And we're driving home, and my husband sees a neon light. The Rock Bottom Brewery. And he just turns and he looks and he goes, the Rock Bottom Brewery? I've always wanted to go to the Rock Bottom Brewery. <laughs> Bear in mind, he's seeing it for the first time. Yeah. And he gets his car and he drives at warp speed as he's known to do and fishtails into the parking lot, pulls into a space and I'm, I'm already mad. I don't wanna go to the Rock Bottom Brewery. I had ambience in mind. And we're walking in, and I'm already muttering under my breath, we don't ever get to go where I want to go. We always have to do what Jürgen wants to do. And we we walk in, and we're we're seated seated across from each other in the pleather booth. (laughs) They pass us the menu, laminated. And it's like wings and greasy food, all the stuff that you're not allowed on the Weight Watchers point menu. And my husband, I mean, he's living his best life. He's, he's like King Henry the he He's got a bib on, he's got a pile of wings, a mug of ale, his wench sitting across from him. And I, Oh, I'm mad, I'm mad. And he's happy, he's as happy as a clam. And then he looks over at me, and again, I'm swirling something. I'm a good drink swirler when I'm mad. And I like to, I mean, my eyes are small to start with, but trust me, when I'm looking at you with that cutting, look, they disappear altogether. (laughs) And he looks over at me, and he's like, babe, what's wrong? Now, understand, I had been winding myself up, okay? This was still part of the old me that I had yet to cast off. And so I'm thinking about all the things that he's done that are mean to me in our entire marriage. Because what else are you going to do in the one-minute walk from the parking lot to the restaurant that you don't want to be at? I'm going to think about how mean you were to me 22 years ago. And so I'm sitting across from him in the booth, and he's like, babe, what's wrong? I said, I... I was just thinking about the time. 22 years ago. When I had our first son, Jordan, and the labor was so hard, and it was so long, and I needed two epidurals just to cope. And then after it was done, I asked you, why would God allow me to have such an intense, painful labor? And you said to me, it was probably because there was sin in my life. (laughs) My poor husband. Granted, this is 22 years ago. <laughs> He's a different man. I'm a different woman. And he just, but you know what I love about my husband? He doesn't suffer a fool gladly. He didn't go home, babe. I know I've said sorry for that before, but sorry again. He just got his greasy chicken wing laden <laughs> finger and he pointed at little victim Leanne and he said, Leanne Matesius, you stop it. Wow. You are not a victim. And again, I remember just grabbing my drink and turning sideways. And... <laughs> and then I remember going home and the Holy Spirit so convicting me and saying, Leanne, what are you, you doing? This is not who you are. He said, Here's what you're doing you are digging up a memory. From 22 years ago, like you're digging up a corpse and you're bringing it into your future and then you're sitting it next to you in the pleather seat at Rock Bottom Brewery and you're talking about it and you're pointing at it and then you're wondering why your life stinks. Why does my life stink? Why do all my relationships stink? Why does every church I go to stink? Why does my marriage stink? Because I'm digging up stuff from our former days, former life, and I'm bringing it into my present like some weekend of Bernie's rerun and then I'm wondering why my life stinks. Maybe maybe you've been even just a little bit like me in your lifetime. And God is saying it's time for you to cast off some of that old behavior. You're not a victim, Leanne. This is not who you are. You're a grateful person. You're appreciative. This is not who you are. I read a tweet recently by a famous person. I I won't say who it was because my desire isn't to embarrass anyone. But she said something that I I felt was so sad. She said this. She said, I realised my self-confidence goes away when I'm around people. Therefore, I'm going to stay home and not engage with society as an act of self-love. And I thought to myself, isn't that really just a thermometer in the mouth of our culture? If I feel something, I act on it. Um, Whereas, whatever happened to working on the broken parts of you? To casting off behaviours that don't serve you well and don't bring glory to God? I feel like that we've lost that sometimes in the church and we just want to put a bumper sticker on our inadequacies or our problems or our weaknesses or our shortcomings and just saying, well, this is who I am. But it's not who you are. It may be who you were, were used to be, but you're not that way anymore. You were cleansed. You were made holy and righteous for the Spirit of our God. I want to ask you that question today. What behaviours are you carrying that God wants you to cast off yeah. to throw off. Amen. Solomon paints such a powerful word picture in the book of Proverbs. He says this in Proverbs 11:22. As a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a beautiful woman who is without discretion. Her lack of character mocks her beauty. Wow. Now, what is Solomon saying here? He's not calling women pigs. He's saying, a woman is valuable. She's precious. She's priceless. She's like a ring of gold. But her beauty and her value and who she truly is is diminished when she's attached to the nose of a pig. Somebody say, excuse my oink. (laughs) But I want to ask you today, just like I had to ask myself, what behaviors am I attached to that God wants me to detach myself from. He wants me to cast off or throw off, like Paul was saying to the church in Ephesus. Don't wait for the feeling. You know what i found? That feelings follow actions. A lot of the time, we act our way into feeling. You're not going to hear that preached everywhere. Oh, well, that's not true. You're pretending. No, I'm not pretending. I'm disciplining my body. Just like Paul said into the Corinthian church, he said this. He said, I discipline my body like an athlete. I tell my body, I tell myself how I'm going to behave. Leanne, that is not who you are. You're not a whiny complainer who sits across The table from a man who has loved you like a princess for almost your entire marriage, who points your finger at him and complains. That's not who you are. You're grateful. You're appreciative. Can I ask you today, what things does God want you to cast off that are overshadowing the beauty of the real you? Feelings follow actions. Most people in our age have made their feelings their idol. And they identify with the very things that God is wanting them to throw off. Throw it off. Yes. Take off that orange jumpsuit. What does that represent to you? Is it worry? Those things that can seem a little bit acceptable especially in the ju- well every mother worries. Yeah, but it's destructive. Throw it off. That's not who you are. The Bible tells us in Philippians, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. I'm going to toss off worry and I'm going to clothe myself in prayer. Father, I thank you, even though I worry about my kids. I refuse to let it stay as a worry. I'm going to recycle it into a prayer. I'm going to make a prophetic declaration. All my children shall be taught of the Lord and great shall be the peace of thy children. Don't, don't make excuses for yourself. Where have you put a bumper sticker when God is saying, no, that's actually a piece of clothing I want you to take off? It doesn't fit you anymore. You look terrible in it. You can see all your fat rolls and get it off. Amen. 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 How are we going for time? Oh. All right, point number three. For goodness sake, let the Holy Spirit renew you. The best part of this message is, is we don't have to do this alone. Even though there are behaviours that Paul is really clearly saying here, like just, just stop it. Stop doing that. Oh, but I don't feel like it. You know what? We rarely do. We rarely feel like it. So I'm going to act my way into feeling. We have a helper, the Holy Spirit. So Paul is saying here, let, let the Holy Spirit come in and help you do what you feel like you can't do on your own. The Holy Spirit is our helper. The Bible says that he helps us in our areas of weakness. Listen to this scripture in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves, The sinful nature, that flesh part of you, the old you, wants to do evil. And it's the opposite of what the Spirit wants. But the Spirit, the good part of you, the Jesus part of you, gives us the desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. And can I say to you today, whichever one you feed the most is the one that's gonna win. It all goes back to point number one. Are you learning from Christ? What are you feeding yourself on? But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. You're not driven by law and driven to to receive acceptance by God, but rather you're, you're led by the Spirit. Jesus is in me. I'm not driven by law. I'm led by the Spirit of God. He's making me into a new person. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. If you want an inventory of whether you're being led by the Spirit or by the flesh, Paul goes on to explain it here. The results are very clear when you're led by the sinful nature. Sexual immorality, immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarrelling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, uh uh-oh, selfish ambition, dissension and division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other things like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the Kingdom of God. But, somebody say but, the Holy Spirit, When you allow the Holy Spirit to guide your life, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. You know what? It's not always an easy thing to do, but it is possible and it is doable. And, and I'm so grateful for the Holy Spirit. And I wanna say to you today, the Holy Spirit is not afraid of your mess. He's not afraid of your broken or your dysfunction. In fact, he, He's quite attracted to it because He, he comes to help. It's like your flesh sends up, your body sends up an SOS. And he's like, here I come, I'm coming, I'm going to tell you how we're going to get through this. Again, I remember as a young wife, I would get wound up so easily. And when my hu- husband and I would argue, he was so good with words. So if I couldn't beat him, I'd just pick something up and throw it at him. I'm like, I can't end this with words, so I would, I will end this with violence. And I remember having the biggest arguments with him at the beginning of our marriage because I was such a calm peaceful person until I got married and like I never ever wanted to be physically violent with anyone until I got married and then all of a sudden all these urges came out I was like the Hulk Bruce Banner she's turning green like it was wild and I remember saying to him you created this monster I never used to be this way, but the truth is, it was always in there. It's just nobody had bumped me hard enough for it to come out. Enter marriage. I swear, nobody can agitate you, frustrate you lag like your spouse can, or maybe it's just me and Jurgen. I don't know. And things have certainly changed. But let me tell you, it's not how you start, it's how you end. And how much of your life you surrender to God. I remember one particular day, uh, my husband decided that on his day off, he wanted to go surfing well. He wanted recreation on his one day off a week and I was there to stop it. You will not be going surfing, you will be staying home with me where we can talk about my feelings and I can remind you of all the things that you did wrong during the week. Sounds like a perfect day off. (laughs) And so we're inside and he's got the surfboard laid out and he's like his prized possession and he's waxing it up. And when he stepped out of the room, I jumped on that surfboard and I just stood there ready to strike. And when he walked back in, he goes, what are you doing? I said, I want to ask you again. Are you going to go surfing? Or are you going to stay home with me? And I lifted my foot ready to strike. And he said, I'm going surfing. And I got my foot and I slammed it down so hard and I snapped the fins on his surfboard. Now, before you judge me, <laughs> it, it just it bears repeating, every woman is at least 10% psycho, okay? That's, and that's the minimum. It only goes up from there. That's her lowest quotient. I was just, I was just peaking at that point. But on the flip side, every man is 10% jerk. So it maybe goes up there. We're better together. And I remember snapping that surfboard and we're yelling at each other. I'm yelling at him. He's yelling at me. How could you do this? Oh, my prized possession. And then I'm chasing him. I like, I have like ruined his possession and now I'm chasing him. And he grabs me in this bear hut like just firmly like this, and then starts walking. I'm, I'm kind of in shock and going, where, where are we going? Starts walking and he opens the front door and he puts me out and then he shuts the door and he locks it. Now, now, here's the lie that I had believed. I can't control it. I come from a long line of crazy psycho women. My grandmother pulled a knife on her mother-in-law in the 1920s, there is centuries of craziness flowing through my brain. <laughs> brains, through my veins, through my blood. I, I put a bumper sticker on it. Yeah. Not perfect, just forgiven. Stab, stab, stab. <laughs> but you know what was amazing? When I was outside on the, in the front road after being in like a crazy Tasmanian devil rage, standing out the front and watching Mr. and Mrs. Smith go by and the Joneses walk past with their dog. All of a sudden, I could control it. Oh my gosh, it's amazing what I can do when I try. And I'm like, oh, oh, hi. All of a sudden the rage is gone. I'm back to normal human color. Oh, hi, yes, just out here fixing things. Oh, those plants look great. Oh, and a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. And then I scratch my way back inside and I'm crazy crazy woman again but I remember when I'd calm down just having a conversation trying to excuse myself to God God this is just who I am just a passionate feisty woman I have a passionate mother I have four passionate sisters this is who we are I am woman hear me roar the Holy Spirit coming in and saying to me, Leanne, you're believing a lie about yourself. You're feeding the parts of you that you should be starving. You're not a crazy psycho. You may be behaving like one, but that's stuff that I want you to cast off. Instead, I want you to feed the part of you that is my fruit, that shows my spirit. You're not a crazy psycho. You have the seeds of self-control on the inside of you. You're just not utilising them. You're not dropping your, your bucket into the well of what I have given you and drawing upon that as your strength. I'm telling you change didn't happen overnight, but change did happen. There were many moments when I felt that, you know, I, I could feel that, oh, I wanna yell, I wanna throw stuff, I wanna snap things. But then after a while, it got to the point where, wow, that self-control thing really did work and I am proud To tell you that 30 years in, it's been the longest time I have not thrown anything at my husband. I have not snapped anything that he owns. I have not behaved like a crazy person. In fact, I love him now more than I've ever loved him. We we rarely argue anymore, but it took a life of surrender. Surrendering to God, the things that I didn't feel like surrendering, I wanted to indulge and pander to my most base weaknesses and fleshly feelings until I allowed God to step in and make me into the person that I was always created to be. You know, I I can't even, like, I, I, I am so unlike the person I used to be, it astounds me. Only Jesus, only Jesus. And and some of you today are thinking, well, I can never change and this is who I am. And, And the world is telling you to identify with the weak, broken parts of you. In Jesus' Name, stop it. That is misguided and it's wrong. God can make you into the person He always created and intended for you to be. But just give Him your whole life. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. And when He tells you to do something, do it. Don't follow your feelings, do what's right. What do I do when I don't feel like, uh, you do what's right. You do what's right, oh, but I don't feel. Just do what's right. And eventually your actions are gonna bump into feelings and you will be that beautiful person that God always created you to be. Are you picking up what I'm putting down today? Our world needs more than humans wrapped in Christian bumper stickers. They need to see that the light of God in someone's life translates to a changed life, to good works. Amen. Amen, Leanne. All right, that'll do. Thank you, Jesus. I'd love if you just close your eyes for a second. There are people in this room and and the beginning, the starting point is giving your life to God. Give, Give Him your life. Give Him your whole life. The greatest thing that I ever did to God, for myself, is give my whole life to God. My whole life, Don't, don't hold anything back. And I'm happy to tell you that the life that I get to live today is one of joy, is one of peace, great companionship, friendships, purpose, meaning, incredible excitement and adventure because I made the decision as a young woman, I'm going to give my whole life to God, even when it's difficult. If you're here today and you've never given your heart to the Lord, I'd love to pray for you. We would love to pray for you. I want you to lift your hand up nice and high so we can pray with you today. Maybe you've been to church or been a part of church, but you've never actually surrendered your life to Him. I want you to surrender your life fully to God today. Lift it up nice and high so we can pray with you. Thank you, Lord, thank you. Beautiful, I see that hand. God bless you, sir, that's wonderful. Is there anyone else today? Anyone else? I feel there's a couple more. I don't wanna linger too long, but I also wanna give you time to respond to God's leading. Yes, thank you. I see that hand, beautiful. Thank you, thank you. Is there anyone else today? Yes, beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I see your hand, ma'am. Wonderful, wonderful. Amen. Well, friends, I'd love it if you'd stand to your feet. I'm going to close this out in prayer. And for those of us who lifted our hands for the first time, I want you to know that one of my friends is going to come find you. They're going to give you a Bible and pray with you and help you get connected to our church family so you can go on this awesome journey and adventure called A Relationship With God. So lift your hands, church. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, I thank You for our church family. God, I thank You that You're at work in our lives. God, we make a commitment to surrender our lives fully and completely to You today, not to hold anything back. God, we ask You like King David did to bring the lamp of Your Spirit into our lives to search our innermost parts. God, we give You Permission and we give access to you. God, we say to you, search us and know us. Test our every anxious thought and see that there be no wicked way within us. Father, help us be ambassadors of the light of God in our city that so desperately needs to know you. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody shouted, Amen.
0: Wow.